Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunes, and today, right after this Phoenix Suns chaotic game that the Kings just played, I have Tim Maxwell joining the show. How's it going, Tim? Going well, going well. How are you? Doing good. It was uh, yeah, quite the experience watching that game. And then we got Greg Wissinger in here as well. What's going on, Greg? Oh, just uh, coming down off the, the low lows and the high highs of another very strange basketball game yeah um what the hell just happened um we're recording it like i said right after this phoenix sun sacramento kings game and for anybody unaware for whatever reason you know the the king's whole thing this year is that they've been close in every game that they participated in whether that be a win or loss they were 500 going into it after 10 games against some good level of competition Outside of the two New Orleans games, I think they played some really good teams. And at halftime against the Suns, who had won four straight going into this against subpar opponents, but they had won four straight, it was 64-67. The Kings were down three. And uh, just a horrific third quarter. We've seen some really bad quarters from the Kings. Usually it's about eight minutes rather than an entire quarter, I feel like. But the third quarter in this one was just horrible. 12 points for the Kings, 31 for Phoenix. I think there were 10 total turnovers, a lot of them from Fox and Barnes. There's no, I mean, Halliburton's out in this one, which is very notable, um, but DeAndre and is out for the Suns. And yeah, just to get to the conclusion of this game, and then they come back in the fourth quarter after pretty much putting in, it's not garbage time players, but, you know, Chemezi Metu, Damian Jones, Jemias Ramsey played for two minutes, but it didn't quite feel like to me waving the white flag. It felt like more of we're not getting energy anywhere. So maybe we're going to try some of these other guys. Um, and then the Kings end up holding Phoenix to 11 points in that fourth quarter while scoring 28 of their own and only lose by five after being down by as much as 24 earlier in either the late third or maybe even early fourth of this one. Yeah, I mean, let's just start with the whole trend of the Kings being close in every single one of these games. And how much value does that have to compare to the teams that we've seen last that might have rolled over and died in this one? Um, Greg, what do you make of the resilience of this Kings team? You know, it's a thing we've been hearing a lot, and they came back from a huge deficit in this one. Well, I've had a bit of a running joke on Twitter that going back even to last season where at the end of the quarter, it's, you know, the Kings feel lucky to only be down X number of points. It's just kind of the the running joke of game after game when the Kings play really poorly and they're not down by as much as they should be. I mean, the third quarter was a disaster and you can look at it like, wow, they only lost by five. They really didn't deserve to have it that close. It's impressive. So there's a negative side to it that they do this to themselves all the time. But at the same time, I think it is worth noting that, hey, the Kings were looking awful. That third quarter is one of the worst quarters we've seen all year. And Luke Walton went deeper in his bench than he normally does, brought in some guys who haven't seen a lot of playing time this year. And they brought it back. I mean, they shouldn't have been that far down to begin with, but the fact that they did bring it back and the Suns were basically still playing their starting lineup when that comeback happened, it says something. I I don't know that it says enough as far as this being a great team or a, a truly resilient team, but they don't give up, which 
is worth crediting, I think. Yeah, where are you at with that, Tim? Yeah, I'm I'm close to where Greg is. Um, interestingly enough, the Kings have been either ahead or behind by five points or fewer in nine of their 11 games this season. Um, one of those that wasn't there was the Hornets blowout, and then I'm not sure what the other game was. I could probably go find it, but I didn't. Um, last year, the Kings were second in the league in those same games with 42. So 42 of their 71 games, they were within five points or ahead with of five points or fewer within the last five minutes. Um, I think what it shows to me um, is that the Kings are an okay team, right? Like they're not getting blown out every night and they're not stomping teams every night. They've stomped one team. So uh, for me, it, it just tells me that they have a ways to go and they, they're probably missing a couple pieces, which I think we all, we all know, right? Like Halliburton was out tonight and they're, they're already, I wouldn't say they're not a deep team, but they're not a balanced team. So you're missing Halliburton. Who's your, one of your real two connectors. Um, now Fox is your only, I know Davion Mitchell has showed some flashes as a playmaker, but you got one true playmaker in De'Aaron Fox. Um, and that's, that's really hurting you. So I, I think what this is showing me is that they're a solid team. They're not, I wouldn't call them good and I wouldn't call them bad. And that's kind of what we've seen this season. That's why they're five and six. Um, and that's probably what we're going to see moving forward. Yeah. I mean, I think a solid team is a fair assessment, but I would say, like, to me, it feels better than last year. Um, I am surprised to hear the stat that you pointed out. They had the most games of any team last year within five points in the final five minutes. Um, that is a little surprising to me to hear. But, you know, I mean, the the competition level that they're going up against to start in these first 11 games is is pretty strong. They played Phoenix twice, Utah twice, the Warriors. The bad teams they played really are, you know, I guess Portland kind of looks like that to start this year. Um, and then they played the Pelicans twice and they won both of those games, um, maybe a little bit closer than you would have liked, especially in that first one. But I mean, I think that the energy and fight of this team does feel a little bit different to me. Um, and really, we've heard Walton talk about turnovers and rebounding being the main two issues for this Kings team that they're really trying to focus and key up on. And, and Aiton had 20 rebounds in the first game that Phoenix and Sacramento showed up against um and he was out in this one as i mentioned before and the rebounding battle was actually 10 in favor i'm sorry eight in favor of sacramento 46 to 38 in this one but the difference came down to those turnovers um that's what we saw in the third quarter they had 24 total turnovers which led to 38 points for the suns and i think that on the other side that was the issue for this for the kings you know similarly to the same thing we've heard for the last couple of years, like the half court offense struggles specifically with Halliburton out, but the transition offense has been really good this year. Um, Barnes has been really solid in that aspect. He's getting to the line and drawing fouls. He's got his slow-mo old man Euro step. That's just awesome to watch. Um, and yeah, the, the transition offense of this team has been really good. And I think that they've had really good stretches or really solid stretches of defensive defensive abilities and, and slowing down the other team that leads to more transition opportunities. So I think it's a combination of just getting sloppy in the half court on offense. When you're talking about these offensive lulls, um, getting sloppy in the half court on offense and Fox, maybe still, I mean, not maybe still not reaching the level that we've come to expect from what we saw last year. And also just, you're going through these 
lulls of also having horrible defense. So it's limiting your opportunity to limit the half court and make things easier with you on transition offense. So it, what are the main, th- I mean, that's what stands out to me through these offensive lulls that we've seen for the Kings, you know, 12 points in the third tonight against Phoenix is obviously what got them in this biggest, their biggest hole yet. And that was the worst quarter we've seen from the Kings this year, but they had 21 in the fourth against Utah in the second game, 19 in the fourth of the golden state game, 18 in the third quarter against new Orleans, 22 in the first against Dallas, 19 in that first quarter against Indiana you know, sometimes like shots just aren't falling like that Indiana one specifically is what stands out to me. But when you're going through these offensive lulls that we've seen far too often for the from the Kings in these first 11 games, what's standing out to you that's going wrong, Tim? I'm not putting it all on Deer and Fox's shoulders by any means, but when Deer and Fox is, <laughs> if I can be honest, missing um, and not missing shots, but like is not impacting the game. The Kings rely on guys who are who their their primary role in the league is not to be number one options, right? You've got the Harrison Barnes, the Rashawn Holmes, the Tyrese Halliburtons, um, who are all very good players in their own right. But um, typically, and I, I think a lot of it is when the Kings, when those guys, when Harrison Barnes has multiple turnovers in a quarter, right, or Rashawn Holmes is getting um, hounded on the inside, and, and the Kings can't find a solution for that, whatever whatever it ends up being. Um, when Deer and Fox isn't able to step up and kind of rescue the Kings from themselves, if you will, because they don't have another true star, that's when I think we're going to, we see these lulls most often, right? In the fourth quarter, Deer and Fox had a much better performance, even though he was playing with, if I can be honest with you, mostly worse offensive players, right? The, the Metus, the Jones of the world are not your premier offensive players, but the Kings made that comeback partly on the heels of defense and then partly on the heels of Deer and Fox just taking over the game. In the third quarter, I think he was 0 for 4 shooting with three or four turnovers. So um, I think that's a big part of it. The Kings have a lot of connecting, not a lot of connecting players, but a lot of players that need to be connected. And when they're not being connected, they're ineffective, right? So that's again, you're Rashawn Holmes. Uh, to a certain extent, your buddy heals, although he's been better off the dribble this year. Um, so I think we, this team, as, as, as improved as they are, and they are improved, um, is going to, in the end, I think, to a certain extent, live and die by deer and fox. And not quarter to quarter, but game to game, uh, multi-game to multi-game, I think that's what we're going to see. So third quarter, deer and fox plays poorly. The offense stalls. Fourth quarter, deer and fox plays well offensively. He's aggressive offensively, and the offense takes off a little bit. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. Again, it's not all on deer and fox. Part of it's roster construction. Part of it's just he needs a, a second guy and Harrison Barnes has been that to a certain extent this season. But when Harrison Barnes is missing shots or turning the ball over when Rashawn Holmes isn't there as good as he's been, then there's a huge drop off, you know, to the, to the Terrence Davis's Mo Harkless's Alex lens of the world, which that's just not going to get done, especially when Tyrese Halliburton is out. Yeah. Where are you at Greg with these lulls and how much of it is uh, Fox to you? So I'm going to disagree. I mean, obviously Fox has struggled to start the season. There's no denying that. We've all seen it. There's obvious issues there. What I see when the Kings are going through these lulls, though, is that the opponent's defense is taking away the primary action in the offensive set. And the Kings have no idea what to do in response to that. You know, if there's a hard hedge or something that blows up the initial, like, pick and roll – 
everyone stands around and just kind of looks for someone to do something and no one takes initiative. We saw it against Indiana. We saw it a ton in that third quarter where you know, the Suns were playing a really aggressive mix against the pick and roll. And how many possessions did you see where Rashawn Holmes is standing at the top of the key and four guys are standing around the perimeter and no one's moving? Like it's just that when the primary offense breaks down, no one knows what to do. There was one point when they kind of reset and Luke Walton like called out a new play from the sideline because no one on the floor knew what to do. And then that play resulted in a quick turnover. Like, because I'm pretty sure Chris Ball knew what that play call was. Like it was it's the same thing where if the main thing that you wanted to do isn't happening, nothing else is happening. So Real quick on Fox, because he's going to catch some flag, especially from that third quarter. And Walton kept him in, even when he was bringing in some bench guys. And he ended up putting up a, a decent overall line. He bounced back a little bit in the fourth. But, I mean, you know, we're going to harp on his turnovers, right? Because Fox ended up with uh, five turnovers. Well, Harrison Barnes had six. You know, and, and we all love Harrison Barnes. He's been doing great this season. He's definitely not the problem, but he had more turnovers than Fox tonight. And if we're comparing like the key guys, you know, for Phoenix, Devin Booker had five turnovers. Devin Booker had a worse shooting night. Devin Booker like had a very similar statistical profile. He had more rebounds and like one more assist. Fox had more had like three blocks and three steals. So they each contributed in their own ways. Fox overall had a better game than Booker. It didn't feel that way watching the game, though, right? I mean, aside from the plays when Davion was really locking down Booker, it didn't stand out as Booker is having this awful night, but we're all so focused on what Fox is doing wrong right now and the areas that he's struggling that I think we're maybe swinging a little too far. Like, I get it. There's issues. Fox missing those two free throws hurt, and then what happens the next play down? Booker misses two free throws. Like it happens. These things happen. And it's not that I want to be an apologist because to Tim's point, I think the team, the Kings are okay. They're not great. They're not bad, but I do think we get a little caught up in some of the minutia of what's happening. Yeah. I think the points that both of you guys made, um, I'm, I'm going to kind of take like a combination of the two that definitely no, see. You those. have to pick which of us is right No. <laughs> and, and more mediator here. And more <laughs> I get the easy job today with two guests. So, I, I mean, I think the initial actions being blown up that you pointed out um, is is totally something that I see going on. Um, it, after that Indiana game, Barnes was talking about how they need to swing the ball left to right a little bit more. Um, talking about you know he's he's played with Carlisle and obviously one of the better coaches in the league that's going to be recognize a lot of these actions. And, and Walton's offense looks. You know, it's fairly simple. It's kind of the same read and react offense, just trying to get guys going downhill to their strong hands. Um, so I, I don't think it's the most complicated thing to game plan against. But yeah, I mean, there's too many times, like you're saying, that after they look a little uncomfortable going through their initial action in the half court, that all of a sudden there's seven seconds left and the same guy has had the ball the entire possession. Um, but then also to go to Tim's point a little bit, um, I think that's when a guy like Fox needs to just take things into his own hands in, in a way that we haven't seen. Um, and I'm not worried. You know, like I, I don't know at what point 
think it was you that tweeted this, Tim. Like, when do we get worried about Fox? Like, really worried about Fox? I'm still not there. I don't know the answer to that question. Like, the shot's not falling. Um, but I don't think that, like, you know, the turnovers were rough tonight, like like Greg said. But it, it kind of happens sometimes. I, I mean, it's happened a little more often than you would like, I think, this season. But I, I do think that he's still creating for others at a decent rate. I don't think he's taking horrible shots. Um, he had a shot to, I believe, to tie it against Indiana late, a mid-range um, that Miles Turner was really backing up against that I thought was a really good shot from the elbow that, yeah, I mean, you live with that shot, I think. Um, yeah, so I, I'm still not at the point where I'm worried about Fox. I don't know when you reach that point because he absolutely needs to be better. The Kings would have know two more wins under their belt i think if fox was the player like the franchise player that we kind of have grown to expect him to be reasonably after the performance we saw last year but he just hasn't been that guy yet um i i am encouraged by getting to the line 11 times tonight missing those two free throws really hurt but getting to the line 11 times was encouraging barnes also got to the line 11 times and knocked down every single free throw that he attempted He's gotten to the line a ridiculous amount and is not really slowing down from this start. I, I guess we'll throw that out there real quick. Like I wrote something earlier in the year that I think Barnes could just average 20 this year. He's getting up more shots. Like that's really the difference this year. Um, he's getting up more shots and it's not in a forced way. A lot of them are still catch and shoot. He's not creating for himself all too often unless it's like attacking and close out or in transition. And most of his shots like I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. It might have been one of you two that pulled it up earlier today are either at the rim or from three. Actually, this was you, Greg, right, in the Slack? Yeah, I was looking at his shot chart earlier today on the year, and it's all three-pointers and in the key. There's like six shots altogether that you could count that were outside of the key that were in the two-point range. One was from like the free throw line, a couple just off the block. Nothing that's a bad shot. I mean, they're all very efficient shots as far as being close to the rim, in the paint, or taking threes. Uh, and we've just seen so many times this year when Barnes just moves into the lane. He doesn't move quick. He just kind of powers through guys with that super slow Euro step and just either draws a foul, scores a basket, or both. And it's so fun to see. And for a second there, it looks like he was pulling that on Booker at the end. They, they reviewed it and I think they got it right. It was a charge and whether or not you like that charge call, I mean, that's the rule. And so they got it right. But for a second there, it looked like he was going to swing the momentum with like one of the least exciting plays <laughs> in its own way. Cause it's always like so slow and controlled, but he just like lets the defense do whatever they're going to do. And he just works around it. And it's crazy how good Barnes has been to start the season. I mean, we talked a lot in preseason about, how in the world is Barnes going to improve on last season? Because last year was such a great, efficient year for him. Well, he's increased his free throws. He's increased his three-point attempts. He's increased his rebounds. And he's done all of that without sacrificing any of his efficiency. It's amazing the way that Barnes has started this year. Yeah, 26 points in this game against Phoenix, along with six boards, 7-9 from the field, 11-11 from the free throw line, like I mentioned. Only one of two from three, which... I don't have in front of me, but I feel comfortable saying that's probably the least threes he's put up this year. Walton's yeah. marker for him was six per game, and, and he's reached that most times this year. Um, 
yeah, I mean, going into this before the 26 and six he put up tonight, he was averaging 22 and nine in the previous 10. I, I mean, yeah, the question, I mean, I think that 20 points is sustainable for Barnes this year, a little less 19, maybe, but like, I, I don't think it's crazy to say that Barnes averages 20 this year. Um, am I, am I crazy for that, Tim, or, or where are you at with how sustainable this, this stretch is from Barnes? Yeah, I think 20 is probably like top, top ceiling for him this season. 20, 21 points could be, you know, 17, 18, 19. Um, just another crazy Barnes stat. Um, he's taken eight or more free throws five times this season. He did that all of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times last year. So his, his aggressiveness in the paint has just been super impressive. And, and as someone mentioned here, I don't remember who it was, even though it was 10 seconds ago, um, Barnes was so efficient last year. And I think it's been, you know, as, as much as I don't love Luke Walton, I think his ability to reach Barnes and say, just keep doing what you're doing, but do it more has, has been really good. Um, you know, Barnes had a different role in Golden State, went to Dallas, got maxed out, was kind of like a number one-ish, A, 1A, 1B option, and, and really struggled in that role in Dallas, and that wasn't who he should be. Um, and I think Walton has been able to play him at the four, which is where Barnes' best position is. Um, he's encouraged him to increase his three-point attempts, which is, of course, Barnes, in a lot of ways, his most efficient shot. Um, and then just telling him to keep attacking has been really good for him. So I, I think it's certainly possible. I mean, putting up 26 points on nine field goal attempts, like that's stupid good, especially when you took two, two three-point attempts. And we saw that, I forget which night it was, Barnes put up like 20 plus points and it was like 70, 80, 90 shooting splits, like something stupid like that. So yeah, this is, I don't think the shooting will stay this good, but a slight decrease in efficiency isn't necessarily going to tank his points per game. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think it's definitely possible. At least it's you know eighteen, nineteen points a game for sure. Yeah, Barnes and Holmes are the two crazy consistent guys for the team this year um, throughout this early stretch, and not doing anything that doesn't feel all too sustainable. Like you mentioned, those numbers will come back down to earth a little bit, uh, but the the way that he's been going about getting them, like we just kind of touched on, feels like we could just be seeing a little bit of a jump from Barnes here um, that. Yeah, admittedly, I didn't see coming. I don't know who really did. Like Greg said, where was this jump going to come from? I was definitely a big advocate of the whole sell high on Barnes during his stretch last year. Um, and, you know, might be looking like a little bit of an idiot. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to have been proven wrong there. Hey, Brenda, has, uh, has Neesmith made a, a field goal yet this year? I hated Neesmith, but let's not talk about Romeo Langford. <laughs> The, okay. okay. Yeah. No, we don't have to. Let's just say it could have been Alperen Shingun, and you could have <laughs> been talking about Scotty Barnes and Alperen Shingun because the team would have been worse. But, you know, you know. I just got a bag on your Celtics, man. Yeah. That, no, that's fair. That's, yeah. Huh. So, what's happening when the Kings have these really good quarters? Because we saw 36 in the second against Phoenix, 38 in that quarter two against Portland. They also put 38. In quarter three there, that was Harrison Barnes' ridiculous night. I want to say he went six of six from three in that third quarter. We saw 36 in the fourth quarter against New Orleans. That first matchup, 36 in the third quarter against the second matchup with New Orleans. 41 in the first quarter against Charlotte. I mean, some of these quarters, they're just shooting ridiculously. But what is standing out to you aside from that as the primary differences when the Kings are are on? Because they've been so... You know, like there's no there's no gray middle area, it feels like, for this team. It's either they're just rolling and hitting everything or 
they just look extremely sloppy. So when they have these moments of, you know, 35 plus point quarters, what, what feels like it's going right for the Kings, Tim? To kind of to Greg's point earlier, um, I think the defenses aren't stopping their initial action, right? Like if you get Holmes involved in the pick and roll early in the possession, that opens up all of your other opportunities. And I, I, I think maybe teams are starting to figure out that if we just prevent Rashawn Holmes from being able to roll to the rim, that's it. Like that's, that's the solution. I mean, we saw it against Pacers, saw it against tonight against the Suns for, to a certain extent, even though Aiden was out. Um, I mean, Holmes averages 12 points per game in losses and 18 points per game in wins. Like there's, there's a clear line there. Not that correlation is always causation, but when the Kings are in their offensive flow, you know, they have Barnes, they have Buddy, two of the this season and in their careers, two of the better three-point shooters in the NBA and Buddy Heald being one of the best volume three-point shooters in the NBA over the last few years. Um, so when you have Fox or Halliburton penetrating with Holmes rolling, and if the other team isn't stopping Holmes rolling, he's just getting easy buckets. If they are stopping, you're, you're kicking out to shooters, you're getting in your actions, you're making that extra pass. But the Kings, outside of Fox and Halliburton, and to a certain extent Mitchell, uh, when guys are out of sync on offense, they just don't know what to do. I don't, there's there's a little bit of um, of there's a few guys in the Kings lineup that just struggle if there's not a set play and if if the offense breaks down, you just see them standing in the corner. And I, honestly, if I if I can be real with you, I think Darren Fox sometimes is one of those guys where when you see him standing in the corner a lot. And sometimes that's the, the offensive design. And I think it's a poor offensive design at times, but um, yeah, when the, when the Kings can get into their flow and offense, they can catch fire quickly. They've got those hot shooters in Barnes and healed. Now they can get to their second sets, the third sets, the third passes. But if you just blow up that initial action, as Greg pointed out earlier, um, it's not going to happen. If you do get the Holmes pick and roll, Holmes is, I would confidently say like a top three pick and roll, big man in the NBA top four, somewhere in there, especially for a starting center. So he's such a key to their offense, just opening up those lanes and opening up those shots that when that doesn't happen, um, you're going to fail. And when it does happen, it's going to open up a lot for you. Yeah. I think it's notable. Those, um, those poor stretches that I've pointed out were against Utah, golden state. Um, and, and I guess there is new Orleans and Dallas as well in there, but then Indiana, and then all of the promising stretches, the outlier being the second quarter against Phoenix in the game that we just saw came against Portland twice, New Orleans twice and Charlotte twice, like bad defensive teams. Um, going off what Tim just said, are you kind of seeing the same things, Greg, or, or anything different when the Kings are are on for these stretches of quarters? I think that, yeah. I mean, when the Kings can run their own offense and the defense that they're facing can't stop them. I, I think that that goes a long way. I do think a lot of it is also just the, the make or miss nature of guys like Buddy Heald and to a lesser extent, Terrence Davis or Tyrese Halliburton. I mean, or even, I mean, Fox, I mean, he only took one three tonight and he made that one, but we've seen games when Fox settled for threes a lot. And you know, those tend to coincide with the bad runs when the guys are just settling for bad looks or the threes just aren't falling. And the Kings definitely seem to live and die a little bit with whether or not that outside shot is going in because that thing frees up space for the homes pick and rolls because they, they got to stay home on the shooters. So I I think it's definitely a combination of things. I I don't know how much I want to put it on Darren Fox because we keep talking about how we want him to take over 
when things aren't going well. But at the same time, we're talking about how he's not shooting well. He's not scoring well. It's like, so we're saying that the guy who's not shooting well needs to take more shots or, or attack the defense more. I, I, I find it difficult to criticize too much on him not being more aggressive because I think he's been aggressive. And sometimes the criticism has been that he's too aggressive, especially with some of his shots that he's taking it. I don't know. It, it's a tricky spot because Fox has not been playing well, but I, I don't necessarily know how much of it I want to put on him not taking over enough when he's obviously in the middle of a, a pretty significant slump. Yeah, totally. I, I think that sometimes the ball moves really well for this team. You have occasional stretches or at least possessions. Maybe it's not even stretches, but you just see a play here or there where it's like, man, I think everybody touched the ball right there. Um, and it swung from side to side really quickly, which is, again, something Barnes pointed out after the Indiana game that he felt like needed to be done better. And then there's moments of, yeah, going through that one initial action, and it it seems like one player took about 12 dribbles just to settle for a mid-range pull-up. So I I think that the trend the half court offense is just kind of kind of come and go right now until there's more second side actions which seems to be happen happening maybe a little bit more often um but i'm, I'm going to dive into it a little bit more i i kind of think that a lot of it could be that just when they're able to get out in transition more often and being able to play better defense that's kind of what felt like the big difference in a lot of these runs for me, for the Kings, um, obviously, you know, that we've talked about their offensive struggles, but I think the variance we've seen on the defensive end is just so extreme. Um, we, we have moments of, you know, forcing the other team, but there was at the end of this game, JaVale McGee had to throw up a three, maybe foot on the line because it was almost a 24 second violation because the Kings played some really solid defense and had good rotations. And then other times it's just like that was four layups in a row, a couple wide open threes from the other team. Um, So I kind of feel like the defense has a lot to do with the offense that we've seen and the inconsistent offense we've seen from these Kings. And Tim, this is something you and I talked about before of them kind of lacking shooters on this team outside of Buddy and Barnes and I think Halliburton is is starting to come around a lot more in that aspect. Like I, Halliburton is a good shooter. He just hasn't, he, he went, got off to a slow start here. And yeah, I mean, how much of these games is just predicated on like they made or missed their shots? You know, I, there's at least a couple, right? Where the Indiana game, I think a lot of people were guarding to, they just missed some good looks. Um, and I think the Dallas one falls into that a little bit. Obviously there's other errors, but I think that that was a big factor, you know, seven of 36 in that Dallas game, 10 of 34 in Indiana. Obviously the Charlotte one stands out as a game where they just couldn't miss. And that's what willed them to that victory. They, they had good rebounding as well, but franchise record 22 made threes of 44 attempts. Their two games against Portland, um, they shot 41% in the first one, 39% from three in the second one. Like how, how much of it feels that the team just is making or missing shots. And a lot of it is those two guys that we pointed out as being really good three point shooters. Sometimes they just have a crazy showing or you get a random explosion, mini explosion from a different one of these guys. I've asked it a few times overall. I'll just ask it the one last time and leave it for you. How much of it is just making and missing shots? It feels like. 
Yeah, I started to answer like six times there, but that's okay. Um, so shooting, yeah, I mean, so you have Harrison Barnes, Buddy Yield, good shooters. Darren Fox this year has been horrific. Rashawn Holmes doesn't shoot. Mo Harkless is a bad shooter. So already, and then Tyrese Halliburton is good, but hasn't been great, right? So like in your starting lineup, I know Buddy's not on the starting lineup usually. You have one really good shooter in Barnes, a, a good shooter in Halliburton, and then three non-factors from the outside. Um, coming off your bench, you've got Davion Mitchell. I think he'll eventually be a decent three-point shooter, but so far this season he hasn't been. He's shooting 27% from deep. Terrence Davis has been bad thus far, but we expect him to hopefully recover. And, I mean, that's that's really your bench, right? I mean, and then your bigs, which aren't going to hit any threes, um, aside from the occasional Rashawn Holmes, I guess, but, or Alex Len. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's there's really two there's two consistent shooters on this team. That's what we built. We built a team with Darren Fox, and then um, we start two non-shooters and then a guy who has struggled thus far this year. So, yeah, I, I think when you have a Buddy Heald, right, who's who's kind of hot or cold, you have a Terrence Davis who's hot or cold. Um, to a certain extent, 11 games into his NBA career, David Mitchell has been hot or cold from the field. Then when two of those guys are cold, you're not going to hit your threes. Your offense isn't opened up. Teams can collapse the middle against Rashawn Holmes and your offense falls apart. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that's something the Kings need to look for maybe at the trade deadline, if if not earlier, is A, we have too many guards and not enough wings, and can we get a wing shooter? Because um, I, I do think Moharkless, he's solid in rotational defense, but his his lack of offense, did he record a stat tonight? Maybe a rebound or something? One rebound and one turnover. So I mean, like... As, wow, he as, didn't shoot the ball once. Oh, yeah, he only I mean, played 12 minutes. Yeah, he didn't play that much yeah. tonight. He he because I think because he was ineffective, right? Like you can't you can't have that in a in an NBA starter. I'm sorry, unless it's Draymond Green having an off start off shooting night or something. So yeah, I, I think having having two in, relatively streaky shooters in, in Heald and Davis, and then Barnes is your steady hand, and really no one else that can shoot except from Halliburton. I do think shooting is an issue and in, in from a, we have multiple volume shooters and then nobody else can shoot. And I think that is a little bit of an issue on this team. So less of a, you know, they make or miss shots on a certain night and more of a roster construction issue. Yeah. I mean, because most teams have guys that can come off the bench and knock down a three. Um, we have that in Davis. We hope uh, other than that, we, we really don't have that because our, our bench and I guess Davis, we Davion, excuse me, not Davis, Davion Mitchell to a certain extent. But again, he just hasn't had that shot. I think he will have that shot over time. Um, but yeah, when you have it would, really it would be Buddy, right? Buddy's your guy off the bench. Sorry. So you have Buddy coming off the bench. I keep naming him as a starter for some reason. I think because he started tonight. So you have Buddy coming off the bench as your one guy. You have Barnes in your lineup as your one guy, and then Hal Burton. I think will get there. And if one of those guys is having an off night, or two of those guys is having an off night. You don't have anyone else that can really step up and knock down those shots with Fox, Holmes, Harkless, and you go down the line. Um, so yeah, I, I think there is a roster construction issue, and I think a lot of the things we're talking about tonight, some some of them do come down just to roster construction when you are starting a Mo Harkless or you're playing eight guys in a night or or whatever it may be. So yeah, I, I, it's it's hit it's make or miss, but it's because you've only got three or four guys that can make or miss, and again, when one or two of them are off, you're in a little bit of trouble. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. 
Like maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. 20th Century Studios presents Vacation Friends 2. Now streaming only on Hulu. Look at us all together again. We just wanted to give you guys a real honeymoon. Shots! 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 What? Now streaming. Dad! He was just released from jail. Where can I get a drink around here? Back on vacation. This place is nice. It's drug lord nice. I'm sorry, drug lord nice? With more baggage. Ever since he showed up, he turned this relaxing vacation into total chaos. Vacation Friends 2, rated R, now streaming only on Hulu. What are your thoughts on that, Greg? Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes back to an issue we saw even when we were looking at this team in preseason or before they even played a preseason game is that it's not that they lack NBA players or NBA talent. It's just, I mean, I've kind of compared it a couple of times, both publicly and privately, that it, it almost feels like the roster was constructed like a rotisserie basketball team for like stats. Like, all right, I've got one guy that can do rotational defense. I've got one guy that can shoot threes. I got one, the guy that can rebound and this is all going to come together and, you know, it'll fill all the voids when realistically you play five man lineup. So you can't play all those guys at once. And ideally you need players to do more than one thing. Like Harkless can be a good rotational defender, team defender, help defender, all of that. But he only played 12 minutes because he did not play well. I mean, 10 of those minutes were in – at least 10 of those were in the first half. Because at one point around halftime, I was complaining about 10 minutes and his only stat was a turnover. So in his remaining two minutes, he got a rebound. And, yeah, he can be helping the team on defense. But if that's all he's bringing in 12 minutes, like you need guys who could help defend and maybe score four points, right? Like – it's not a big ask to ask for a little bit more than just defending and grabbing a single rebound over the course of 12 minutes. I get that there's role players. And I mean, it was one of those things we talked about when Harkless got resigned that if he's a bench rotation guy, that's perfectly fine. If he's a guy you're counting on to be a key piece of your main rotation, that's potentially problematic. I mean, the Kings, we saw from the get go that they have Barnes, They have Harkless, and they have no one else who could realistically play the three. And both of those guys realistically are better at the four at this point in the modern NBA. So, I mean, it's there's roster issues, and Rome wasn't built in a day. I mean, I think we can all agree that this team is better. This team is improved. The depth is better. There's a lot of good to be said about what you know they did with the roster construction and building up the talent level. You know, since if especially if we go back to the start of last season, it's obviously a much better talent level. It's just not a balanced roster yet, so there's still work to be done. And sometimes we're seeing those issues, and I think that those construction issues are a lot of where we're seeing these problems. Yeah, no, I'm with you guys, um, and I think that to avoid a little bit of like a pessimistic tone that I feel like is growing here. The, the Greg strayed from a little bit at the end there, which I appreciate. Um, I'm trying since, not to be negative. Like I'm actually pretty happy with how the season started. Like yeah, there's so issues, but it's not bad. Like 
<laughs> so am I. And, and I would think, I mean, Tim, you feel all right about the way the season started as well, right? We have a better record than I expected. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not sitting yeah. here panicking about a season-long issue. I mean, I think the roster construction is a season-long issue, but I'm not like, oh, man, we suck again. Like, I think we're a playing team. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not freaked out. Yeah, just to be clear, I, I totally agree with the issues that you guys are pointing out with the roster construction. Um, you know, maybe that swapping one of these guards for a wing that can shoot, which I get is a big ask, could could help a lot with what's going on here and, and really fill the void of a lot of these questions that we're asking. Um, you know, like, yeah, Buddy healed for somebody with I, I mean these guys aren't exactly available but to point out guys with similar value um contractual value in that sort of range a you know jeremy grant like aaron gordon a bojan bogdanovich uh bogdan bogdanovich uh guys that you know I, i'm not saying any of those players are available but like if you're able to swap a buddy healed for a wing and it takes a few draft picks maybe to do so then all of a sudden i think this roster looks so much more balanced and they have a lot of decent complimentary guys around them um and i want to ask about buddy healed this year because i don't know what the hell to think um way too often i'm like what the hell is happening right now that buddy is like o of six from three he made one and then he comes back down the floor and two seconds after catching it, he's throwing up a heat check. And I get that it's buddy healed. He's one of the best three point shooters in the league. I think going into the game against Phoenix, he had the most made threes in the league, but I don't know, like getting up 13 threes. And it's just the way that he is throwing them up. Um, he's not really passing the ball at all this year. You know, I, I that's not exactly something we, talked up buddy a lot with previously either but last year he was doing it at a higher rate i mean before not counting tonight's game uh since basketball reference hasn't updated with that yet he went from 3.6 assists per game down to 1.8 um he he's just shooting it the second he touches it and i get that we need somebody to do that to an extent he's driving more which i like but yeah, I mean, where just where are you guys at with Buddy? Because, yeah, I have too many moments of what the hell is going on, and maybe he, he's playing point a little too often. I don't know if that's on him or Walton. And then there's also moments where it's like, man, the Kings would have gotten absolutely destroyed, and Buddy is the reason that the other team's run was slowed down. So I, I've been unsure of how to feel about buddy this year. I think more often than not, I feel frustrated. And then I'm just like, well, he just hit two back-to-back threes and really brought them back in this one. So I don't know. He, he's probably been the weirdest guy for me this year to place my feelings about um, how he started over these 11 games. Greg, where are you at with, with buddy's start here? Dude, I'm like the total opposite of you. I've loved buddy this year. <laughs> uh, yeah. Buddy still makes some bad turnovers. But he still takes some really dumb shots. But he hits enough of those dumb shots that I just love the hell out of it. Like, he is, I, you know, obviously tonight's numbers are going to bring it down a little bit because he, he only shot, uh, where's the number here? Three so of he, 11 from D. three of 11. So, 
which works out to about 27%. But going into tonight, he was shooting like 41.7% on 10.83s a game. Yeah. Like, He's been heat checking it, but he's been hitting enough that you live with it. I mean, it's if you're gonna make forty percent of your threes, I'm not gonna question as much of your shot selection. Some of them are gonna be bad, but enough of them are good that it's worth taking. I've also seen Buddy trying to dribble less. I mean, there's definitely been times he gets in trouble with his dribble and passing turnovers and all that. But he even came out and said a couple games ago that he knows that the team does not want him dribbling and trying to create that. That's not what he's there for. Like that's not his role. He's not there to try to rack up assists. Like I think his passing has been okay. Not great. He still has the turnovers, but I'd say a a decent number of those turnovers are still him off the dribble as opposed to him throwing a bad pass. He does a bit of both. Don't get me wrong. His rebounding is up. I mean, his, his overall numbers are, Really solid for, especially with him coming off the bench and playing fewer minutes. Like, if you look at his permanent numbers, this season's going amazing for Buddy compared to last year. And we were all kind of down on Buddy, you know, the kind of him being a little unhappy. We were kind of wanting to see Halliburton get that starting nod. We weren't sure how Buddy would react to a bench roll. When he's coming in against the second unit, I want him being a flamethrower. I want him just coming in and chucking those threes because he's a good enough shooter that enough of them are going to fall. Tonight's a bad night. Those are going to happen. But there have been so many games that the Kings would have been totally lost already this season without him. I've been very happy with how Buddy's adapted to coming off the bench. And it's not perfect, but it's exactly what I've wanted Buddy to embrace as a role for the last couple of years. Yeah, where are you at with that, Tim? Yeah, I, I think I, I, I uh, trend more towards Greg's side of the road there. Um, I, let me let me just say one other thing about Buddy before I go into that. Um, actually, to, to kind of defend Monty McNair, we talked about roster construction. How much more balanced does this roster feel if we have Kyle Kuzma and Hero on the roster as opposed to Buddy, right? Like you're starting Barnes at the three. You've got Kuzma starting at the four. who's putting up 14 and 10 a game. So just throw that out there from our last conversation. I think that's kind of in his defense. Uh, but as far as Buddy this season for the Kings, um, Super, super happy with how he's played. Um, the one thing that I think Buddy brings more than any other player to this team is just confidence. Like that dude, you can see when he starts knocking down two or three threes and three or four possessions that the whole team, the whole vibe changes. Like the Kings, like just, I mean, I mean Buddy talks crap to their team. He, you know, he shushes the crowd and you can just feel like, the energy of the team changes when Buddy Heald is on fire. When Buddy Heald is not on fire, it's really bad. But that's what you're getting with the gunner. Buddy Heald is the gunner of all gunners, um, one of the gunneriest players who's ever gunned. So, it, you know, last year, I don't remember exactly what Buddy shot from three, but I know it was under 40%. Uh, it was like 38% or something like that. And 39.1 off the top of my head. Wow, look at that. I'm supposed to be the stat guy, Greg, not you. Could be wrong, but... Well, I thought you had it memorized. Okay. I said it's off the top of my head. All right. All right. Um, I'll pull it up. Brandon will pull it up. Brandon, who's right? (laughs) It is 39.1. Yes. All right. Greg wins the weird stat guy game. Um, All right. So all that to say, 
if you're taking 11 threes a game and you're hitting 42%, you can take as many three-pointers as you'd like. Um, I, I I would appreciate it. And it sounds like Buddy has actually been coached up a little bit on, on his role, you know, not talking about not dribbling as much, you know, he's not there to pass. He's not there to rack up assists, et cetera. That's, that's a, a, again, another pretty good job by Luke Walton. We all thought that if Buddy healed, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but pretty much the entire fandom thought if we bring Buddy healed off the bench, he will immediately demand a trade, right? Like, like that's what we all assumed because that's kind of what had been hinted at previously. And instead, I mean, he was almost traded and then Buddy Heald has come off the bench and, and played, I think relatively well. I think one thing we haven't mentioned here as well is that his defense is better. Um, it's not good, but he, he is working harder than I've seen him work. It's not consistent. It's not every game. It's not every play. He still has plays where he gets caught watching the balls. Man, get, his man gets open for a backdoor cut or an open three or whatever. But overall, I think his his defensive his attention to detail on defense has improved. So, yeah, if your gunner is hitting his shots, I'm gonna take the good with the bad and just kind of call it even. Especially on a team that needs this that needs shooting as desperately as we do. So, I, I've been pretty happy with him overall. Yeah. I would just say also that on his defense, especially like it, it's his on-ball defense is solid at this point, right? It, it's still the help defense where he gets a little lost and can be exploited and all that. And he's been steadily improving at on-ball defense. And this year, especially the way Buddy adds muscle every offseason, like his physicality is there. Like guys aren't posting him up at all. Like he's able to do all those different things. But we also saw like tonight, like early in the game, right, with him and Fox side by side, how much that highlighted those defensive weaknesses that were all of last year. So I think that moving to the bench has also helped in that sense, because if he's on the bench, he's playing next to Davion and Fox isn't playing next to Buddy. So I think it kind of helps with the overall team defense. (laughs) Well, yeah, no one's playing with Buddy. I mean, I think that, you know, the way that the guys are being used and staggered is also helping to mask some of those defensive issues as well. Yeah. I'm probably focusing too much on the crazy shots. And I think that my frustration is a little more of just like buddy is doing what buddy does, but I just think that I would love to have another guy that hit the paint on this team. So I I think that maybe this is me backing up because both of you guys just disagreed with me and made great points. Um, but I, I think that it goes What do you mean hitting the paint? Like uh, creating for others when it comes to driving to the paint and and then kicking it out and, and there being more rotation, ro- more ball rotation in that aspect. Okay. Because I, I just don't think that like, I, I just get agitated at the early shot clock ones, which I guess is, again like what buddy does and again maybe i'm just focusing too much on the crazy ones right yeah because i i don't want buddy driving the paint to try to create for others no and i don't <laughs> want buddy to do that i'm just saying no no, no. definitely not saying i, I want saying. buddy to do that i'm just you saying, want like, someone to do a player that did that yes yes so and i think I, it comes back a little go ahead i was just gonna i think if the offense was in a better regular state maybe those shots would frustrate me more but with the Aaron fox a little bit missing in action. I mean, like if it's between Buddy Heald jacking up a three with 20 seconds left on the shot clock or Mo Harkless taking a corner three with seven seconds left on the shot clock, I guess I'm just kind of saying, you know what? 
if Fox isn't hitting shots and Holmes is out of the picture for a certain amount of time in the game or he's out of the game or whatever it is, I mean, Davion's not particularly shooting particularly well to this point in his career. It's uh, a, a bad shot from Buddy is probably a good shot. It's better than a good shot from a couple guys on the team. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, admittedly am like, what the hell for the bad shots? And when the good ones go in, I'm just like, well, I guess rather than actually celebrating them. So, so I had a, I had a thought that popped in my head the other day. I've been rewatching Seinfeld on uh, Netflix now that it's there. And it occurred to me the other day that Buddy Hill is just Kramer, right? He, he's a recklessly irresponsible person who's going to just barge into the room and do his thing. And it just somehow works out for him really well. And you just got to enjoy the ride with him. Have you seen Seinfeld, Tim? I've seen like three episodes. That's more than me. God. Can you make an office reference? or like Tim, a, Tim lives in a comment and Brennan is 12 years old. So for people who enjoy it. Yeah, and, and you grew up in a comment. So. I did. <laughs> I did. Somebody, the list, some listeners will get it. It's great. Yeah. And those are my people, and they're going to appreciate our, me being Our here. over 60 crowd is really going to love that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who else do we want to touch on here? Um, you know, we can say um, that Terrence Davis was back in the rotation a little bit tonight. He came out on fire. I want to say hit three of hit his first three three-point attempts that were, I believe, all in that first quarter. Ended the game, though, three of six from downtown, five attempts from the field in 26 minutes. Left the game early when he rolled his ankle and did not return. Uh, we don't have an update there. But, yeah, Terrence Davis, a couple DNP CDs in a row there after a rough stretch. Got a little bit of run against Indiana. I want to say he also played in that game against Charlotte. Yeah, he did, that blowout game against Charlotte. Um yeah, I mean, seems to – I don't think that Terrence Davis is going to just not be a part of the rotation. You know, there was a lot of reportings that he had a really good training camp um, and is just a streaky guy. So I think that maybe there's stretches where he gets limited run, but Davis will be felt throughout this year, hopefully in a good way rather than a bad one. Um, I, I think he kind of also falls under Buddy, just some bad shot attempts, and it's – probably i mean davis deserves those attempts i guess you could word it that way a little less than buddy um but yeah it feels like a guy that we're gonna see kind of here and there and and hopefully we get some update on that ankle thing ankle injury that we saw um also chemezi metu ended up playing for a while tonight um either one of those guys that you have or damian jones that also got some run tonight you have thoughts on any three of those guys or anyone else here tim I liked what Jones brought to the table. Um, I'm not a Metsu guy. I, he's a fine like project player, but I don't really want him in the rotation or really stepping foot on the court. Um, but I, I liked Jones's energy and defense. He can play above the rim. Um, I wouldn't mind giving him a few rotational minutes over the next few games and just see what he brings. Um, he's just kind of a different player than Leonard Thompson in, in a lot of ways. Um, Terrence Davis is fine. Like, as you said, I think he's going to be in the rotation this year and he's going to have good games and bad games. He's an inconsistent player. It seems like streaky shooter. Um, I, I will be curious to see what the Kings decide to do if um, 
Terrence Davis misses a few games and or if Tyrese Halliburton is out, like, does that mean you bring in Luke King, Robert Woodard? Like, you, I don't know, sign John Salmons. I don't know what you do in that in that situation. But um, yeah, I, I think I think Jones was the most impressive to me of the three tonight just because he had a real impact in the game. Davis came in and hit a couple shots and then was just kind of invisible from there. But um, yeah, I was happy with Jones play. I know we've got a couple of big Jones fans on the Kings Herald. Um, but yeah, honestly, if any of those guys are playing like 20 minutes a game, we're, we're probably in trouble in other areas. And how dare I not mention Jemias Ramsey? The whole game changed yeah. when he came in. Like, sure just the energy was just different after JR checked into the game for a little while there. It's that number 20. It just brings a different energy than we saw with three last year. Um, of the guys mentioned, Greg, who stood out to you aside from the obvious JR? Uh, obviously, aside from Jemias. Uh, so first on Terrence Davis, like he's in my opinion, he's a very poor man's buddy. Right. He, he streaky score, you know, can sometimes go off from downtown, but with a lot less consistency. I thought he played a good game, but it's also t- telling that we think that a bounce back game from Terrence Davis is 13 points, three rebounds and an assist. Like, in 26 minutes like he played a lot and he was playing well it wasn't a bad game but he's very much a a bench backup version to bench buddy heel like i feel like he had a really good preseason and that maybe overhyped us a little bit on what he could be what what seinfeld character is he uh we'll call him newman which doesn't mean anything to you, but people will appreciate it. No, he could, um, he could not even be a character, and I would, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, as for the other guys, <laughs> I I was actually just really happy to see Jones and Metu get some run because the guys that were playing in the like core rotation were not getting it done. There was no energy; it was stagnant. It wasn't working. And I've been really critical of Walton at times this season because we've talked about how much better the depth is, but he doesn't go to it. He sticks with a tight, here's the eight guys I've decided are playing tonight, and that's it. And I just have wanted to see him sprinkle in some guys. And this was the earliest I can remember him going to the deep bench all season. And when it worked, he then stuck with them. And I was really happy to see that because I think Jones and, and Matthew both we're bringing something to the table that had been missing, whether it's desperation or just, you know, excitement or whatever it is. But there's been a couple of times I've tweeted about like wanting to see, especially Damon Jones get in the game because, you know, if Holmes is in foul trouble and you need someone to spell Len, like I think Jones is a really good backup center. He played really good backup minutes for the Kings down the stretch last year. There's a reason he went from two, two way contracts to being on the full roster on a, real NBA contract this season. And it was nice to see those guys get some run and get some reps. And they made some mistakes, especially like Mento, I think had a, a few botched plays down the stretch, but they're still young players. And in a game that towards the end of the third quarter, we all thought was done. This game was over and those guys helped bring it back. And then Walton let them finish it. Results be damned. But I was really impressed with that. I am not a Walton fan. I've been very critical 
critical of him on a lot of things. So I think it's important to recognize when he does something that I think is good. And I liked the way he, he went to the deeper bench, gave those guys a shot. And when they brought it back, he didn't just go back to the starters or go back to the reliable guys that he normally ends games with. Yeah, definitely. I, I like to see that from Walton. Um, energy and I think physicality was an issue tonight against Phoenix and then also in the game prior against Indiana, specifically that Indiana one um, where they just have a physical team that really slowed the game down. And I think that they kind of got out bullied a little bit. You know, they have a lot of big wings and, and two sizable bigs on that roster as well. Um, but yeah, I, I do like that he went to those other guys. I think that maybe you could have gone in a different direction at the end, but I certainly don't re- don't mind rewarding those guys for being a key factor in bringing the team back. Those guys being Metu and Jones and Jamias Ramsey. Um, so, yeah, I certainly don't mind. Ramsey played two minutes, dude. <laughs> it changed everything. Two key minutes. Two key minutes. Yeah, it's crucial. He was a plus one, a clear positive impact. Do, do, do you think it was weird that Tristan Thompson didn't see the floor? Kind of. Like, why like, I not thought so. Thompson than Jones? Yeah, like, I mean, I know Walton has clearly gone. Either Len or Thompson is playing dichotomous decision. It's one or the other. We can't have ever, both ever play in the same game. But, you know, we, we've we've all said they were missing energy and, you know, kind of that physicality. And Thompson has kind of come in a few times, and I'm not a huge Thompson guy, but he's come in and, like, provided energy and, like, kind of pumped the guys up. He's that veteran leader in the locker room. I just thought it was interesting tonight. And I don't know if he brought in Metu and Jones. Definitely not Ramsey, but the other two is almost like a punishment to the other guys and be like, hey, fine, you, you're not going to play hard, then I'm going to get guys that will. But, again, even if it's that, it's like, well, Thompson – does that too. So I, I, maybe it was waving the white flag, getting guys, guys some developmental minutes and punishing them. I, I, it was just interesting to me that Thompson didn't play. I don't think it really says anything like crazy about the, the decision, but it was just interesting to me that Thompson didn't play on a night where we needed energy and a little bit of physicality. Yeah. I wonder if that was when McGee was out there or if it was Kaminsky. Cause I think like if you're talking matchups, I guess that um, Jones makes a lot of sense with McGee. It's probably the quickest big on the roster, maybe outside of Holmes. He might even be quicker than Holmes. Um, but yeah, no, that that is, that is a little weird to me to not go Thompson. And then I guess we should also say, I mean, the only other guy that didn't play is Marvin Bagley. Like Marvin Bagley is Chemezi Metu's getting pay, played over Bagley. Um, I personally don't really mind. I mean, I think Bagley is better than Metu, um, but at what? I mean, what is Metu even good at? Like, it would be anything on offense. Like, I, I hate having I to answer that question. I just couldn't. Both are not good. Like, I just couldn't <laughs> resist that setup. It was just up on a tee, and you. No, it's a I'm great sorry. question. <laughs> that's why I can't answer it. It's too good of a question. Um, so I don't really mind, and I think that because it's really not that big of a difference that like, I'd rather take the guy that is going to give the crowd, I think a little bit more energy, like Metu got a little bit of chance in that Charlotte game to get put out there. He hit the record break in three, you know? Um, And then, you know, comparing to a guy that doesn't really seem all too committed to the team through his, his actions over the last year plus, um, or really the time he spent in Sacramento, which I get has kind of been 
a rough situation for Bagley with some situations that he or some instances that were out of his control, but he definitely doesn't seem committed to the team. And I think that this whole season, we've heard culture nonstop. We've heard it throughout the offseason. We've heard it this year. And I think there's just kind of, to me, a minimal difference between the two, even though I do think Bagley is better, that if you have one guy that's bought in, and this is hard to tell from, from my point of view, but this is what it feels like. You have one guy that's bought in and another one that hasn't exactly been talking great about the team or seem all that committed, even though Bagley's been, you know, smiling, cheering from the sideline, I think in a decent way um, with that being the difference in their skill set not being that notable between the two, I don't mind going Metsu over Bagley. Um, but where are you kind of at with that, Tim? I have a little problem with it, and I'm not a Bagley. You know, I'm not a Bagley. I think Bagley's not an NBA rotational really? player at this You're point. Not a Bagley guy? I'm not a Bagley. I know, shocker, <laughs> shocker wow. to everyone in the world. He's Neither the is Bagley to a giraffe on this team. Neither is Bagley a Tim guy. So we're not each other's guys. <laughs> um, so Marvin Bagley isn't, I don't think, a particularly effective NBA player. At the same time, he can be effective. Like there are times in which he's effective. There are times he can come in, get some easy buckets in transition, or grab grab some. He's a good rebounder. Like he's he's a good rebounder, and we are terrible at rebounding. Um, I I don't want to play Marvin Bagley fifteen minutes a game. I don't want to play Marvin Bagley ten minutes a game. At the same time, we are trying to make the playoffs, and. I don't know what's been working out in the background, so I don't want to speculate too much, but maybe there's been an agreement made where he's not going to play. I don't know. Or whatever. Um, if you're trying to make he the played, playoffs... He played a little bit in one game this year. Right, he played in the Utah, or the first Utah I game or something. the second game against Utah, yeah. Or second game, yeah. Second so game like, the year, the first one. Yeah, second Utah. game. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, I don't know. If I'm trying to win a game and I'm, it's either between Marvin Bagley or Metsu, I'm going Bagley every time. Now, I, I again, I think tonight was a little different in that the Kings were getting blown out and Luke Walton was just like, screw it. You guys go try to do something. But if there was like, if, you know, if Rashawn Holmes was in foul trouble and let's just say Alex Lynn or Tristan Thompson was out for the game or whatever the situation came up where it was a real rotational decision between Metsu and Bagley. I think if you're not choosing Bagley, you're, you're hurting the team, frankly, to be a little petty. Um, and I just don't think that's a smart long-term play. Hopefully we just don't get to that decision point. Cause again, if we're at that decision-making point, we're, we're in more trouble than the Bagley versus Metu debate can go. But I think you play your best players, even if frankly, they don't want to be here. Marvin Bagley, he can be solid. I don't think Metu can be solid for any stretch of the imagination. So, so that's to, where I'm with counter. it. And this also goes against literally what I just said. And sorry, I'm sure you have something, Greg. But I will say, like, when we've thrown Bagley out there before, when the team has thrown Bagley out there before in these quote-unquote like garbage time minutes when they just need something, I kind of feel like I remember Bagley going out there and being like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take over right now. And that obviously doesn't exactly happen. Like, Yeah, um, but tonight, I mean, could it, like, if, it, like, at, in the third quarter, when you're scoring 11 points, does it really hurt you to throw Bagley out there and be like, fine, you go take four shots because we know you're not going to pass. We know we know you're just going to take four shots. Go take four shots if you make three. If you make two, hey, we scored. We increased our point percentage by 50%, right? So that's where I, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Like, I don't expect him to be good, 
but like he might score some points. He might get out in transition. He might throw down a dunk. He might grab a couple of important rebounds. Um, all things that I, I just don't think Metu can do. I don't want to play Marvin Bagley. I don't want to play Chimizzi Metu if we're trying to make the playoffs. But I, I do think there have been times throughout the season where he could have played and it, it wouldn't have been some some giant mistake um, unless you're tr- preaching from a culture standpoint, like you said. And if that's the case, I, I can kind of get it. Yeah, where are you at with it, Greg, when the Kings are in a situation like this between Metu and, and Bagley with um, Robert Woodard, unfortunately, <laughs> sidelined in this one? <laughs> so the first thing that I want to say is I don't think it's fair to say that Bagley's not bought in to the team. I don't think that's fair for any of us to say because we don't know. We see his dad out there on social media being a jackass, and Bagley does not rein him in or speak to the contrary. But at the same time, there's not been a single thing that we've heard from anyone who's closer to camp than any of us to suggest that he hasn't been active, participative, engaged, supportive of teammates, everything else. We can all be critical of him because there's a lot going on there and no one thinks he really has a future with this team. But I don't think it's fair to say that he's not committed to the team and that's why he's not playing. That's my first thing. The second thing is when you look at where Metu was subbed in instead of Bagley or where Jones was subbed in instead of Bagley, we got to look at what were they being asked to do. Jones entered the game to sub in Holmes and give him a different look because Len wasn't being really effective. He was kind of getting abused a little bit. So Jones is coming in as a center. Marvin Bagley, despite our thoughts that he could work there, was really bad last year when they tried to play him as center. It didn't work. Bagley's a power forward. He's not a center. So Jones is going to be not only a bigger body, but a more effective skill set at center, both offensive and defensive. You know, Bagley might be a better rebounder, but Marvin just straight up gets abused down low when he's played at center, especially on the de- defensive end. Metu came in to spell mostly like Harkless, right? Like he came in and was guarding Jay Crowder. He's guarding a guy who's a combo 3-4, a little bit more of a wing, three-point shooter. You know, not a, a great percentage, but a guy who shoots a lot of threes and needs to be guarded on the perimeter. Bagley guarding the perimeter is a disaster. We know that. So when I look at why those two came in instead of Bagley, I see a a scheme and what are you asking those players to do and those players being better suited to fit that. I don't think it's a referendum on Bagley's future with the team that he didn't come in tonight in this matchup. I see it as a matchup decision. Yeah. So when is the matchup? Good for Bagley. I'm turning rarely, on you. Rarely. But <laughs> but if we're looking at why those guys over Bagley, kind of the Tim's point, like Tim's in, I'd rather pay, play Bagley over Metu, for example, which if you're talking about bringing him in at power forward, like if, let's say, Barnes fouls out or, or whatever, and you need someone to come and play power forward, I think that the choice would be Tristan Thompson or Marvin Bagley. But but at least before Metu. But in this case, with what they were being asked to do, that's where I see that decision coming down to Jones and Metu before Bagley. 
and I didn't I didn't have a problem with it tonight. Like I said, like I think there was. Multiple... I'll pull up our Slack. You definitely did. <laughs> well, I, I think. I'm just I think. Yeah, no, you're good. You're good. I think, <laughs> as a whole, like if you're playing Metsu over Bagley, that's stupid. I think tonight when you're down 20 points and you're just trying to get guys out there for energy, I don't, I don't really have a problem with it in like in that context. But um, I, I don't think Bagley has a spot in the rotation at all. I, I think he's, I mean, he hasn't played. He played. He's played like seven minutes this season. He's not. He's not getting in games. Um, and I do think overall. I, I, I do think the Kings are costing themselves maybe a little bit of something by just flat out, for the most part, refusing to play Bagley under any circumstance, which is what we've seen. I mean, did he, he hasn't played any blowouts. He hasn't played in close game. I mean, he's just, he's, he's, I mean, the Kings came and told him at the beginning of the season, you're not in the rotation, right? Like that was, that was the big controversy at the start of the season. So he's, he's out. Um, and I, I just, as much as of a non-Bagley fan as I am, I, I think in certain circumstances, Bagley can help you. And if you're taking a hard line, I'm never going to play you. I just I don't know if I agree with that assessment of a guy who can do a couple of things well. Yeah, and before we move on from Bagley, because we spent a long time on him in in this pod, uh, you know I, I think that some people throw out the um, qualifying offer variance that we could see this year uh, based on if he meets starter criteria, right? Um, if he does, it would be the typical fourteen point eight million qualifying offer. And if he does not, it would go down to 6.5. And if he does not means either starting in 41 games or more this season, which no reason to think that would happen, or if he played 2,000 minutes this season. And for some context, last year he played 43 total games, logged 1,112 minutes. Um, I think Greg did the math, and, and I did it myself as well. If he were to play, or maybe it was Tim, um, if he were to play 82 games this year, that's an average of 25 minutes a night. It's a pretty hard marker for him to reach. Um, even if he were to get traded to another team, OKC, let's say, where they're just willing to give him starter minutes. I mean, even there, I don't know if that actually happens, but let's say for the sake of conversation, um, it's pretty hard for him to actually reach this 2,000-minute mark. Um, not not impossible, but I don't think that – I don't know. It doesn't seem like to me that that is getting all too factored in to, to this decision in my mind with that 2,000-minute uh, mark potentially reaching that this year and how that would affect a qualifying offer for either him or a team that he may get moved to this year. Um, any quick thoughts, agree, disagree on that? I would just say that – if you don't play him, it makes it to where those aren't a consideration at the deadline. Mm. You know, if you're looking at keeping him essentially as an expiring contract at the deadline or a, a cheap long-term commitment to a receiving team at the deadline, if you don't play him, the minutes, the starts, none of that has to factor in. And it's essentially going to be a guarantee for whoever takes him at the deadline that his qualifying offer is now 6.5 instead of 14-something. I think that that could matter. I think if you're being practical, and, and I don't think that the Kings necessarily are approaching it this way. I, I doubt that there's any sort of mandate from like McNair to Walton or anything. But if you're looking to, to move the guy by the deadline, just being practical, 
anytime Marvin's gotten consistent rotation minutes with the Kings, he's had injury concerns. And he got hurt right before last season's deadline when they were trying to showcase him. And what's the purpose of showcasing Bagley at this point in his career? Everyone knows what he's good at. Everyone knows what he's bad at. Unless you think that there's a compelling argument to be made that he's significantly improved an area of weakness, there's not a lot to showcase. You're, you're going to be trading him with a team hoping that the Kings just botched his development. I don't think there's a lot of downside to not playing him unless you're convinced he helps you on the floor. I don't. Um, I don't think the Kings' record would be any different if Marvin Bagley averaged ten minutes a game. So let's just start out with that baseline, right? Like, if if Marvin Bagley had averaged ten minutes a game, I think the Kings would be five and six. Um, I don't think the starter criteria plays into it at all. Um, he's he's played like seven minutes this season. You know, eleven games already gone. Um, by the time you reach the ted the the trade deadline, you know, you're talking like thirty thirty five games left of the season. He's and even if the Kings played him like averaged like eight minutes a game for, to, from now till the trade deadline, he would need to average like 35, 37 minutes a game for the final thirty to hit two thousand. I didn't do the math exactly, but it would be a crazy amount of minutes. Um, I I think injury concern is probably maybe the biggest thing at play aside from just maybe both parties. We know everyone wants to move on um, because, as Greg mentioned, he gets hurt a lot. So. And he did get hurt last year at the trade deadline, which was really, really poor timing. Um, at the same time, if you're not playing him, teams, I just don't think... I think if a team was interested in Marvin Bagley, he would be on their team. Um, I don't I don't think the Kings are really asking for any value for this for this young man. I could be wrong. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think the, the minutes restrictions for the qualifying offer are at all an impact. Um, I think, if anything, it's injury concerns mixed with just he we, everyone knows he doesn't have future of the team so may as well play other guys i'm going to disagree with you on one point there i think 10 minutes a game of marvin bagley's defense could have an impact on our win loss right now yeah maybe losses yeah no no i i totally i totally see you there i was i was more talking like he's not going to help us if he's playing 10 minutes a game yeah uh, i could totally I, see it the other way i'll agree with you there I, i'm <laughs> like or yeah. if he's playing 10 minutes a game, is it a better record? Probably not. It, it's yeah. the same or, could or be worse. worse. But I could definitely see it having an impact on the overall win-loss if he's playing 10 minutes a game. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to counter <laughs> myself and say that. I get what you're saying. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm with you. Just clarifying that. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, and that win-loss currently sits at 5-6. and six. 11 games into the season, I think we would all say a pretty tough schedule to start. The last four, uh, not including that Phoenix one that we just saw, maybe were um, easier matchups, but specifically the first eight felt like a pretty tough schedule for the Kings. And before we move on to overtime, um, it's been a long recording. I appreciate both of you. We'll go, we'll go quick here. Um, I just want to say this next stretch, this home, I mean, this away trip for the Kings, I think is so crucial. San Antonio on Wednesday, Oklahoma City on Friday, Detroit on Monday, and then Wednesday in Minnesota to wrap up that road trip. Four winnable games that the Kings are probably favored in. I was going to say every one, and maybe I'm wrong about San Antonio, Minnesota, but I feel like they should be favored. Um, 
so I, I think that, you know, we've been able to put an asterisk on most of these games of, oh, well, they're play, they played a really good opponent. Um, you know, they, they took care of business against New Orleans in that fourth quarter. They really made it comfortable. They played well against Charlotte. But those asterisks of good opposition are starting to go away. And I think taking care of business against these really bad teams is going to be really important for the Kings. Um, a, a really big road stretch coming up here where, like I said, they just need to take care of business. And before we move to overtime, do you feel better or worse than you did coming into the year? And let's just say, like, do, does is this a play-in team to you, uh, Greg? I would say yes. I mean, when we looked at the opening schedule for the Kings, at this point, I wouldn't have been shocked if they only had two or three wins. So they're they're definitely better than I thought they'd be. They're showing a, a tenacity that I did not expect. The defensive scheme is much better than it was last year when they were switching everything and just getting run off the court. Overall, I'm happy with the progress. Like It's not mission accomplished or anything. It's a long season. They've still got to sustain and prove. And to your point, how they perform against teams they're supposed to beat matters. And we saw them perform against the Pelicans. It wasn't the most convincing game, but they turned it on at the end and, and really owned the fourth quarter. For the next four games, I mean, just because it's the NBA, you never know. I mean, they could drop one of those, the Minnesota one, especially that that's a not a great team, but a tough team. I'd like to see him win three of the next four. That would tell me a lot about where this team's going. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. They need to go three and one over this over this trip. Um, that that's key. The teams that they're going to face over the next four games, their combined record is ten wins and twenty seven losses. So these are not good teams. Um, I think Minnesota is definitely the toughest team out of that group. As far as playing, yeah, I think they're a playing team, um, nine or ten seed. I don't. I, I at the beginning of the season, I said they would. I thought they would win between thirty nine and forty one games and make the ninth or tenth seed. And I legitimately don't feel any differently about the team from that perspective than I did um, eleven games ago. I think they're a, a solid, mediocre in the in the most positive mediocre way you can describe a team. They're average. They're going to win about half their games, and I haven't seen anything to to convince me otherwise. I do just want to note before we get to the Detroit game that Detroit is like 30th in most defensive categories, which is kind of funny when they're the ones who hired Rex Claiming away from the Kings. And they have Corey Joseph. How could that be? I mean, never go full Kings, Detroit. <laughs> Corey Joseph taking four quarter minutes from Killian Hayes is just a sight to see i i just miss Corey joseph you know at least we still have a shell of Corey joseph and De'Aaron fox so to start this season oh man yeah you better, credit, coming up. You, you better credit john hollinger with that or people are going to get mad if you think that was not me just so people know um yeah i think that this is a playing team um i thought that it was a 10 11 seed i feel like a little more like 9 10 right now um which not all too big of a difference, but well, I, I guess, I mean, it's the difference between making the play in and missing it. So that is substantial. Um, the Kings feel, I mean, I think the things that you guys pointed out as improvements, um, variation on defense, there's not, it's weird a little bit talking about depth because they still have the same 
number of guys in their rotation pretty much, but the talent level of the players that are getting thrown out there is notably improved. Like we were just talking about Corey Joseph or Nemanja Bialica getting run. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's notable improvement compared to the guys that we've seen last year. So, yeah, I feel optimistic. We still haven't seen Fox come into his own. Um, reasons we touched on earlier, I think what HB is doing, his jump is a little bit sustainable, not to this extent, but he – does feel like he's going to be a more impactful player this year. And Tyrese Halliburton seems to be getting into a little bit of a groove. He's been extremely good over these last stretch of games. He's been more confident in a way that Fox and, and the coaching staff and his teammates have been pushing him to do. So, yeah, I feel good moving forward. These next four games are going to be huge for, for telling us what this team really looks like, though. If the whole thing that you know I'm taking away, and I think a lot of people are from this Phoenix thing where Obviously, horrific third quarter. You hate to see it, but I think coming back from that and the resilience we've seen when that's been like a storyline for the Kings throughout this season is a little bit encouraging. But that's obviously got to be the case against these teams that you're supposed to beat, like you guys were talking about. Overtime question. Long ass episode. Before we get out of here, what is a TV show that should have had one more season? And why is it Seinfeld, Greg? It's not Seinfeld. <laughs> Seinfeld went for like nine years. It was plenty long. No, uh, my answer is uh, Freaks and Geeks. Uh, it only ran one season. It's an amazing show. I think it's on Hulu right now for children like Brendan who've never heard of it. Uh, it. It ran for one year from 99 to 2000, but I mean, it had an amazing cast. I mean, uh, James Franco, Seth Rogen, Jason Siegel, Martin Starr. Uh, like just an amazing show that really had well-defined characters, good humor, good story arcs. And it just was at the wrong time. If that show came along a, a couple years later, when there was like internet buzz around it, it would have been fine. It never had a consistent land spot. It's an amazing show for the one season it had. It should have gotten at least a second season. How many Kings players do you think have seen that? I don't need you over under three. I, I don't need you to remind me. I, I bet Harrison Barnes. I was. Yeah. It is a fan like of one. it. Um, I bet Luke Wallen's a big fan of the show. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> anyway, go check it out on Hulu. It, it's one season. It, it doesn't take that long to go through. It's a great show. Recommend it to anyone. I'm going to go before you, Tim. I am going with um, Shit's Creek. I thought it was a hilarious show. I think Greg put me onto this show. I'm pretty sure that's the case. Um, it might be like the one recommendation that I actually followed through with from you. Um, Have you watched Tombstone? I yet? knew this was fucking coming right there. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I keep forgetting the name is how bad it is. Um God, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. Um, <laughs> um, what did I say? I said Shit's Creek. Um, I thought it was a hilarious show. There wasn't a moment of it being like too much to me. Um, I also know, I, I forget the uh, director's name, who also is, <laughs> I, I just have to say, a character in the show because I just have the worst memory ever. Um but, you know, one of his things was that he intentionally made it a little bit shorter. So that way there would not be 
a moment of a forced episode. So I kind of feel a little weird saying that it could have been longer, but I feel like it could have gone one more and still filled out all those characters really well. Um, I just thought it was hilarious and really well done. So I'm going Schitt's Creek, um, which I bet you a lot more Kings players have seen. But where are you, where are you at, Tim? I'm going with something in the middle of modern and uh, pre-1900s. So I'm going to go with um, <laughs> uh, Arrested Development, which is an odd pick, you may think, because they, they rebooted it, but the reboot was terrible, at least the Horrible. first. I never, I never even followed through with the reboot. I watched like the first four episodes and I was done, but loved that show ahead of its time um, and kind of built a path for a lot of other shows. They're, they're kind of similar feel. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go with Arrested Development if it had been an immediate season after the last one, as opposed to the terrible reboot that uh, should be taken to the barn and shot. And I bet a lot of Kings players have seen Arrested <laughs> Development. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Now, I have not watched... I watched all of the kind of reboot season that they did, but then they did a recut of the final season where it's in a little bit different order and apparently that made it a little better. If you're recutting a reboot, it's yeah. you're done. Go it away. It's not it's good. Done. Yeah. I don't even know what order I watched in. Yeah, it was bad. It was a really weird thing. I don't even remember what it was, but it was a weird thing and I remember hating it and being very sad. They just did like different characters' perspectives, I think. I yeah, think something weird. So so Tim's answer is a show that did get an extra season that he hated and he <laughs> thinks that it didn't get enough. So Correct. <laughs> there we go. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the King's Pulse podcast. Um, definitely check out all the great work going on at the King's Herald from us three. Well, I guess mainly the other contributors um, that are all killing it there. And take a look at the Patreon to support local independent Kings coverage. And if you enjoyed this episode of the King's Pulse podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. You hear from us again in the next couple of days.